Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, Seekers, to podcast number 68 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast by Seekers and for Seekers. As this episode releases sometime in mid-June, our hopes are that many, if not most of us, are able to return to some degree of normal. Uh, We're not sure exactly what the new normal will look like, (laughs) but as stated in one of the last month's episodes, we here at God Beyond the Bible think that there are some aspects of life that we considered normal before all this occurred that will be forever altered as we move towards and into the future. These are exciting times to be alive. This is a historical period, and and I think it'll probably be likened to the other world events, such as the Great Depression. I think it'll be remembered in that way. Definitely. All right, so for our shout-outs this week, um, I wanted to give a shout-out to all of our listeners who choose not to share their names publicly, which is totally fine. You Mm -hmm. don't have to do that. Of the anonymous family? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we see you guys, and we appreciate you listening just as much. Lots of folks listen, and we don't. Don't, don't bother us a bit. I apologize for that. I think I've got a short in my cable. I'll try. If it does it too much, we may have to pause. But anyway, uh, really, really appreciate uh, all of you that listen. And, and we're not about the numbers and how many people and where. I mean, right. it's, it's not about that. Right. Okay, Tabitha, you got the quote of the week? I do. And these are song lyrics from a song by Matthew West. It says, I used to hide every time I thought I let you down. I always thought I had to earn my way, but I'm learning you don't work that way. You're the God who stays. All right, I like that. I love that. that. I like that. Is it me again? It's in the again. last two episodes, that was number 66 and number 67, we looked fairly extensively into a passage and text known in scholarly circles as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, most of ours, is it just us old people that know it is that? Have you guys ever heard it called? I was going to say, I'm apparently not very okay. scholarly okay. because <laughs> I had never heard that before. Most of us just know and refer to it as Matthew 24. One of the reasons we felt we should devote uh, some time to this particular passage is the, is the timeliness of it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are those, as there always has been, who are predicting all kinds of gloom and doom and are convinced that these are the last days and that God's about to pronounce final judgment on humanity and the material earth. And most, if not all, this confusion is due to a single word, as we pointed out, being improperly translated, rendering the question the disciples asked to be rendered in Matthew, when shall the end of the world be? Instead of the question they actually asked, which was, what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of this age? Speaking of the end of the Jewish religious polity and the national covenant that all revolved around Jerusalem and the temple. 
Okay, so in this episode, we're going to take a brief look at another source of great panic and fear among the believing community, and that is the book of Revelation. So let's dive right into segment one and begin by pointing out that when we look at the Bible for what it is, a collection of works of many different people and authors operating under divine inspiration, yet, as we've pointed out so many times, we're still very human with their own human experiences, beliefs, philosophies, character, religious and social backgrounds, and individual personalities that are all very much in play, just as ours is today when we attempt to translate our own spiritual experiences into words. Yeah, well put. So let's look at the writer. Uh, Let's look at the writer, the recipient of the mysterious book that for almost 20 centuries now has been the focus of so much debate fear, mistrust, confusion. As far as we know, this John that penned the text we all know as the book of Revelation is the same John that also gave us what is positioned in our Judeo-Christian Bible as the fourth gospel account. Tradition tells us that it was this same John that wrote the three general epistles referred to as first, second, and third John. And the reason I said, reason I said tradition tells us, you know, they had one name, mm-hmm. John. Yes, exactly. We don't know if he was, you know, we didn't say the son of who or anything like that. Well, so, you know, we're, first of all, because I actually just read a deal where there are some people that believe that this was not that John. Yeah. I was, but I, I, I tend to think it is. And, and we'll talk about that why here and later. If we go and build off the tradition that mm-hmm. it is that John, yeah. this would make John the brother of James, which was one of the two sons of Zebedee, who appears to be the owner of a successful commercial fishing business for whom his two sons worked at the time that they were called by Jesus to follow him. These brothers were referred to as the sons of thunder. And I never really knew why. Anyway, I started to say, does anyone no, have any? I, I don't really. I, I read some speculation about that, yeah. but I'm sorry. So they're, they're referred to as the sons of thunder. Uh-huh. These brothers made up two-thirds of what Bible students refer to as Jesus's inner circle, which was made up of Peter, James, and John. They are so-called because they are recorded to have attended a number of miraculous events, such as the transfiguration, that the other disciples did not witness. And I and what I think maybe at the raising of Jairus' daughter was that where he said she's not a she's not dead, she only sleeps. I don't know. And I think that was only Peter, James, and John too. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So just for clarification, John's brother James is not the author of the book of James. It's believed to be written by James, the brother of Jesus. John's brother James was beheaded early in the book of Acts. In fact, he is one of the first New Testament martyrs, along with Stephen, who was stoned to death. Mm -hmm. Okay, now hopefully we have John nailed down. (laughs) He was the one who referred to himself in his own writings as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we don't really even know what he meant by that title. I don't think it was an arrogant title. No. I was always told in my Bible schooling that he called himself that because he didn't want to draw attention to his own name like he was bragging, I, John. And, and, and maybe so it's just that it he just fully understood more than most the, the concept, the, the concept of, the, of love. Yeah. Yeah. He also leaned on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. He's the one that Peter signaled to or urged to ask Jesus to identify who the betrayer would be. And I think he was the one that Jesus actually said to answer the question, said the one who dips in the sop after Mm -hmm. I do. He was also the one they were talking about in the song, John the Revelator. 
Right. Go. <laughs> okay. John's style, approach, and presentation of his gospel account is much different than the other three. He didn't begin with the nativity or any type of genealogy concerning Jesus. Had you ever birth. noticed that before you were mm-hmm. paying attention to that? Yeah. Okay. He began his account with the almost mystical phrase, In the beginning was the word. He then went into speaking of illumination and enlightenment, referring to Jesus as the light. And using phrases such as, the light shineth into darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And that was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Almost almost mystical Definitely. Yes. sayings, yeah. you know, words there. John seemed to be the first to communicate his understanding of a new covenant that was to be brokered by Jesus the light. John makes an elusive statement in the first chapter of his gospel, where in verses 16 and 17, he writes, and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. I know. And I thought that was a typo. But now unless my King James Version has a typo in it, I had to read that three or four times. Read that again, Tracy. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Okay. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, that was written in the very first chapter mm-hmm. of John's gospel. So John is indicating here that he understood what was at stake. And that was that Jesus came to mark the end of the first covenant that revolved around the law of Moses and initiate a new covenant that would revolve around truth and grace. Now, that's what it seems to me like he's saying there. In his gospel writings... John included many of Jesus' earthly miracles. However, I'm sorry. He excluded. John excluded. Tracing? (laughs) Let's start that again. In his gospel writings, John excluded many of Jesus' earthly miracles. However, he did include, include Jesus' private meeting with the Jewish ruler Nicodemus, which resulted in us having the pivotal verse of John 3.16 that we lean on a lot. Many believe that only John recorded this event because, again, only the inner circle, John, his brother James, and Peter were present at the private meeting that took place that night. Now, we can't really know that. but Right. John was at the foot of the cross and was there when Jesus entrusted him with taking care of his mother Mary as Jesus hung on the cross. It was John who recorded in detail Peter's denial on the night of Jesus' arrest when the risen Lord indicated to Peter that he... Peter would be bound and put to death for his faith, it was John that Peter pointed to and asked, and what will his fate be? To which Jesus answered, if I decide for him to live until I return, what is that to you? And we might even say that it was John who served to inspire this podcast when he ended his gospel by saying that Jesus did many, many things that were never recorded, and that in fact, had everything that Jesus said and done been written down, there wouldn't be enough paper, books, or libraries to contain it all, which is a paraphrase of John twenty-one twenty-five. So stay with us as we pause, take a moment to regroup, and be right back with part two. Okay, so with that brief background study on John, do you think it's safe to say that the with the information we have, 
um, that it portrays John as being quite different than his contemporaries, that is, the rest of the disciples, and that his writing style is also very different from the other three gospel writers. I mean, anybody that's even read the gospels knows. Yeah. The rest of them are more of just a commentary on what Jesus did yeah. and, and included John some of them. John had a very clear... They're, they're a narrative, and he, he, he went a different... He was more the spiritual, went kind of mm-hmm. in this spiritual direction mm-hmm. with it, it seems like. And perhaps the thing that stands out the most is the fact that John seemed to understand that Jesus's mission was about bringing the age of the covenant based on the law into a new age based on, in his own words, truth and grace. Now, before we dive right into the book of Revelation, which is our intended topic discussion, it would seem proper to point out that John chose not to include Jesus' teaching on the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. The other three writers did. Matthew in chapter 24, as we discussed in the last two episodes. And Mark records the Olivet Discourse in chapter 13, which, by the way, records Jesus telling them that the temple will be destroyed. And Mark records that it was specifically Peter, James, John, and Andrew that approached Jesus about his statement of the coming destruction of the temple, Hmm. indicating that the rest of the disciples were not there, just these four guys, maybe. Mark also records the question in this manner. He says, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Not as it is translated in Matthew 24, as when shall the end of the world be, which, as we stated, is not what they asked at all, but they were inquiring of the end of this age. Right. So in Mark's account, after Jesus stated that there would be a great tribulation such as had never before or ever would be, never before been or ever would be again, Mark records Jesus as clearly saying in chapter 13, verses 29 and 30, So ye in like manner, when ye shall see things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at your doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass until all these things be done. And I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? It is. It is, and I realize... Because he used the words you, and you, pointing at them, you, in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass. When you take a step back and you really read it without the blinders or maybe the goggles on of what you've always been taught, you go... Wow, that was always right there in front of me. As clear as, and I clear as it can it. be. And it's something I've noticed in the last few years, especially since, you know, the journey that's led us up to doing this mm-hmm. podcast, is that we spend a lot of time sort of making implications on what Jesus said and what the Bible says, mm-hmm. instead of just sitting back and reading it and going, you know, that's pretty clear if you just listen to what he said. I think where we make our mistake is we do we don't put ourselves in the position of his intended audience. We act like we think he was intending that for us. Yes. Way in the future. And he was, I mean, it would, it just, folks, it doesn't make any sense for us to sit down with Jesus and ask him a question today, if I could, and sat down, and all of us would love to have a talk with Jesus, but I'd love to just sit down with him today and have a talk with him. And I ask him a question and he answers it with something that don't even pertain to me or the era I live in, that he's going to answer it with something that happens thousands of years in the future, that's hardly a satisfying Well, 
and we want and, to make it. And I don't think he did that. I don't no. think he did. As a matter of no. fact, I'm convinced he didn't do that at and all. And we want to act like Jesus always talked in all this code that nobody really understood when clearly in that day and age, they Think, knew exactly what he was yeah, saying. Sure, We're the sure. ones trying to and make it, it And it's difficult. when we get it over into the English that we start exactly. getting it really bad off. I'm three, right? Mm-hmm. Luke records the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21. Luke concludes with Jesus repeating, This generation shall not pass away till all, emphasis on mm-hmm. all, is fulfilled. But Luke do, does record something that blows away the theory of the great tribulation being, you know, for some future generation in Luke 21, 20 through 28. So Luke records this. We're going to read this here that Luke records, and it's in Luke chapter 21, verses 20, 21. And again, I say it blows away the theory that the great tribulation is for some far distant future right. uh, generation. Okay, so starting And in, you can't see where I've capitalized <laughs> words and put quotation marks, but... <laughs> I'll try to put some emphasis em- put on Put some it. emphasis okay. on, those, on those words there. All right, so we're starting... Now, he's Luke. speaking to... We know at least four guys here, yes. but he's speaking to the disciples here. So he's talking to them personally. He's not, he's not writing to me. Mm-hmm. He's not writing a letter that's going to be uncovered out of the dirt. Some year. It's, he's talking to some real people. Exactly. So beginning in Luke 21, verse 20, he says, And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them which are in the countries enter thereunto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things that are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress, great tribulation in the land, with wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled." And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great glory. And the key verse, And when these things come to pass, then look up and lift your heads, for your redemption draws near, draws nigh. And that's verse 28. And then in verse 32, again, he ended it with barely, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. So once again, if you were Peter, James, John, or Andrew, and whoever else might have been present and had presented Jesus with the question of when Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed and got this answer, there is no way you would walk away relieved thinking to yourself, oh good, this isn't going to happen for thousands of years. Right. Right. On the contrary, you would be... You would be sure that some of you, if not all of you, would still be alive to witness the great tribulation that was to come on this generation. Note that following his statement of the great distress, such as never that such has never been before or ever would be, this is translated in Matthew and Mark as the great tribulation. Right. right. Jesus then told those disciples standing there that those of them who are still alive when the destruction comes 
to literally look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Again, it's only when we force an erroneous interpretation on these passages that we find ourselves confused about what Jesus was talking about. Mm -hmm. We may rest assured that those disciples clearly understood that everything Jesus was saying pertained to them and would come to pass in their generation just as Jesus said and just as it did happen some 35 short years later. Mm If we force the interpretation that Jesus was talking about a tribulation in some far distant time in the future and so clearly told the disciples that it would happen in their generation, then we are forced to defend our erroneous interpretation by saying, as C.S. Lewis did, that Jesus either purposefully or by ignorance led his disciples into this false belief that some of them would live to see all these things come to pass which is, in our opinion, the absolute worst kind of blatant egotistical heresy that has ever existed. And you know, I don't use heresy much. No. But when Tabitha read that a couple of episodes ago, what he said, that is heresy of the worst kind. If you contradict Jesus, that's... Yeah. If you say Jesus didn't... When you say Jesus didn't know what he was talking about... And so I I decided when we were going through this to try and look up the apologetics answer (laughs) to these verses. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the apologetics say that it was clear to the disciples that Jesus was speaking prophetically. And and this generation was. was in reference to the generation that would be living at the end times. Which was this generation and the end times of the, the age. End of the their the age. age was going to be in 35 I mean, years, and it did happen. So, but Am you, I not the only one who would read that and go, I mean, I guess, but that didn't really answer. Have we not been those people? Yes. We've accepted that, but you, you have to quit at some point, and I, I really believe you have to take the goggles off. You have to look yes. at it yourself and see. Because we've well, all accepted. you have to just stop being led around exactly. by other people telling yes. you what the... There again, back to how we started this whole thing mm-hmm. over a year ago. We have been told what the Bible says long before we ever read it. It's already indoctrinated in us. It's pounded. It, it's, it's, we're brainwashed. We are. Yes. Into saying, well, this is what it... I know that's what it says, but this is what it means. Exactly. This is what they were trying to say. So with that, guys, please stay with us. And as we promised, we are getting to the book of Revelation when we return with part three. Okay, after what seems like a quick pause, but it was a long pause for us there. (laughs) The first two segments have given us a lot to digest when it comes to the New Testament prophecy. If you are a person who has been indoctrinated with the preconceived approach that some part or even most of Jesus' Olivet Discourse was directed at some far future time and some far future generation, all this may seem quite strange and it's going to be hard to accept. And we have all been there. Right, right. Just listen with an open mind. Okay, it comes down to a simple question. When Jesus said, Some of you standing here shall not taste death until all these things come to pass, and said, This generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled, was this exactly what he meant? And did those standing there interpret it to mean just that? 
I think yes. they, I'm positive they did because it meant just what he said, mm-hmm. this generation, yeah. meaning in a generation that's considered 40 years, well, you know, a 40 year span. The only alternative is to conclude, as most of our modern religious leaders are teaching today, that the early disciples and the apostles were laboring under the misconception that Jesus' words were for their generation. Um, it's, it's to say that this... Is to say this, not the same. Yeah, we go. Yeah, (laughs) is to say this, not the same as saying that Jesus not only allowed them to operate under this erroneous belief, but actually was the perpetuator of a false belief. Well, C.S. Lewis just basically came out and said that's that's what he believed. He believed. Yeah. Okay, let's start a revelation discussion with a point that we made in passing earlier in this episode. Why didn't John include something as pertinent? As the and important as the Olivet Discourse in his gospel account. Now we're talking about as Matthew did in twenty four mm-hmm. and Luke did in twenty one and Mark did in thirteen. Why didn't why didn't John did you ever ask that question? I didn't no. because I really never I truthfully didn't pay much attention to that. That he wasn't didn't record recorded. it. Okay. Yeah. So so why didn't John include something as pertinent and important as the Olivet Discourse in his gospel account. Some say the answer is simple, and that is that the entire book of Revelation is an expository, that is, a complete breakdown of the Olivet Discourse in precise detail. Some even believe, and there's no way to prove one way or the other, that John didn't include it because he had actually already received and recorded the Revelation before he released his gospel, and that the two were circulated together as one work. This, of course, is not provable, but neither are the dates we put on any of the Gospels or the epistles of the New Testament. I was actually reading an article on one pastor, and he said, you know, I had a pastor, another pastor asked me one time, so would you bet your life that every single book in the Bible was written by who we attribute it to be written by? (laughs) And he said I had to stop at that moment and go, you know, there could be some. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, even those scholarly theologians who vehemently defend their stance that the tribulation part of Jesus's Olivet Discourse did not pertain to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, they do agree that the revelation is clearly an extension, explanation, or further interpretation of Jesus's words that were recorded in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. I don't think you hear anyone disagree on No, they everybody the fact will say, "Oh, it's just it's other. just yeah, that's mm-hmm. the two that this is the revelation is just an expansion. It yes. is a expository if you please of that." And by the way, I'm going to tell you guys, we're not going to get very deep into the revelation thing today, but next few weeks we're going to we're going to be yeah. looking looking at mm-hmm. more of the revelation, explaining some things, not necessarily going word for word through it, but just giving you something to look at. And think about so let's consider that if Jesus literally meant that the generation of those disciples standing there would witness all these things come to pass, then this includes much, if not all, of John's revelation, considering that it is a detailed breakdown of the Olivet prophecy of Jesus. So today, as difficult as it is to set aside our indoctrination, let's call it what it is, our brainwashing concerning these historical prophecies and events and consider that the reason there was a sense of great urgency concerning Jesus' words in the Olivet Discourse and John's recording in the Revelation is because there was a sense of great urgency (laughs) since Jesus said it would occur in the lifespan of some of the disciples. In short, the clock was ticking. Time was running out. Jesus' words 
that no man knoweth the exact day or the hour was key to the disciples reading the signs revealed in the prophecy. Instead of giving them a date and a time on the calendar, he would give them certain cues that would let them know it was about to happen. When you see these things. Mm -hmm. It's it's starting. Yeah. And I don't think they had a question when they started seeing. You know, we, we question every time something happens. Is this the because, beginning and of the end? And it's everything that's ever happened through time has been applied. This is the end. Sure. Yes. This is it. This is the end. Yes. Here it comes. This is what Jesus talked about. <laughs> but I fully believe they 100% knew. When the sign came, they saw it. Okay, obviously we're not going to have time to sufficiently explore in depth the revelation in this episode. But like Dad said, we are going to use the next few episodes to look deeper into it. We're going to begin by pointing out something that modern prophecy students seem to overlook for the most part, and that is that there is a single theme that runs beginning to end in the book of Revelation. And it is the same theme that Jesus made clear in his Olivet Prophecy, and it is that all these things are about to come quickly or come quickly come to pass. So with this in mind, let's read the first three verses of Revelation chapter one. Finally, everybody's saying finally, yeah. Verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Did you hear it? Two phrases in the first three verses emphasizing the urgency of the message. Things that must shortly come to pass, and the time is at hand. Could anything be clearer? When did shortly come to pass be changed to mean shortly come to pass in a few thousand years or so and the time is at hand becomes the time is right now or perhaps a few thousand years from now it makes no real difference <laughs> all right did jesus make these two statements to further perpetuate what scholars today are calling a false assumption that the events were for some of those standing there who would not die until they happen or for those of this generation that shall not pass away until all these things come to pass For a generation of people who call themselves the defenders of the faith against heretics, this generation is promoting the most egregious of all heresies when we contradict the words of the master himself by saying he really didn't mean what he literally and clearly said, not just once, but time and again to different listeners at different times. Okay, so we have established the single most important theme concerning the book of Revelation. John clearly establishes it twice in the first three verses. This prophecy is for right now. All of this prophecy must shortly come to pass, with no indication that thousands of years will lapse in the meantime. Now, for those who would argue that this theme of the urgency of the situation was somehow set aside as the prophecy progressed, think again. The last two verses of the prophecy say this. This is Revelation 22, chapter 22, the last two verses, verses 20 and 21. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, he started the book with it. Mm-hmm. 
He was really trying to emphasize this point that, guys, and, he's on his way and right I didn't, now. I didn't go through his show. It's numerous times yes. repeated through the book. It's about to happen. It's coming. Where, where, I mean, have I just been crazy all these years that I just would read that and just say, but he didn't mean that? Not crazy, just brainwashed. Yeah. I, I mean, we all, yeah. It's, there's no other word for it, guys. We say that because we have all come out of this same thing together. It's You were convinced from before you're old enough to read that this is what it's talking about. And, and just because you believe it, we're not criticizing. We're no. just asking you to look at it with an open mind. Yeah. Yeah. Just read. Do you believe what Jesus said? Yes. Read what he said instead of reading what people tell you he meant. Yes, that's it. Let it mean what it means. Yeah. So, in conclusion, are we finished? I think so. So why are so many in the church community contradicting the very words of our Lord by trying to convince their following that the great tribulation and perilous times he spoke of did not happen in A.D. 70 at the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, but are instead meant for some future time? The answer is simple. If you think about it, to manip- they do it to manipulate the minds of the people and control them with fear. This was the very tactic, to, tactic of manipulation that the Jewish leaders used to control the people of Jesus' day. And he came to set them free from that system. And he died to do it. And as he whispered, just as he whispered from the cross, it is finished. More next time. But until then, may God's grace, peace, and love be on you in you and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com. Or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.